Uh, have you ever uh, said that you completed a task and you're like, I did this, I did this for nothing? Yeah. Why did, why did I do this thing? It's, it's not benefiting me right now and I don't see how it's going to benefit anyone else. And I feel like I just wasted a lot of time. I think the the people that the writer of Hebrews is describing probably felt that way sometimes. I can imagine that as the patriarch Abraham and his family were wandering away from their family, away from everything that they knew because Abraham apparently heard the voice of God telling him to do it, that there were a lot of times when they thought, man, what are we doing this for? What's, why are we out here? We're, we're, do, we're, we're leaving everything that we knew we're leaving all sense of purpose that we had in life, and we don't even know what's going to come next. And I think this is a very important and perplexing and challenging part of being a human being. We're the only creatures on earth that can think about the future, that can think about the things that don't exist, that might exist, to think about if we were have if we had taken a different trajectory, what might have occurred? We have imaginations and we can produce things in them and we can use that to gain a sense of purpose and to lose purpose as well. I've found myself at different points in my life with a severe lack of purpose. I found myself wondering why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and one of the things that we're exploring in this series is that at different stages in our life, there are different tasks at hand for us. And when we're engaged in those tasks, when we have harmony with the task of that period of our life, that we can be invigorated with an energy and a sense of purpose. I don't know about for you, but my experience in this American culture is that there's kind of been like two, maybe three kind of tasks of life that I felt like I could fit myself into. One was as a, as a child, my task was to listen to my parents and to go to school. And then, and then when I was a teenager or like kind of in a college age, it was like, I kind of felt like I was in a holding pattern, that it was just kind of more of the same it was more of just kind of go to school, study more. You're not really ready to do anything except for drive. And then weirdly at 18, I could gamble and buy cigarettes, but I couldn't drink alcohol or rent a car. But, and, and then as an adult, it was kind of you just like, you make money, you get a job, and, and you kind of watch your kids do the same thing all over again. If that was all there was to our lives and our, and our life of faith that God wanted for us, we wouldn't have the story of Abraham. We wouldn't have many of the stories of those that the writer of Hebrews is referencing. Abraham had a life. He knew the predictable places that he would be going, and yet he felt and heard the voice of God calling him to leave all of that, to strike out on his own, and to look for something beyond those tasks. Now, here's what I want to say right off the bat. Those are so important. Each one of those things are so important. And one of the things I'm really passionate about as we move forward at Christ City is to be very conscious 
of where somebody is in their life and what we expect out of them. There's a different task for a new parent, their first, having their first child. There are, there are tasks in their period of life that aren't the same tasks as somebody who's maybe in their 60s, their kids are grown. There's tasks that we want to encourage and build up in our teenagers and the more teenagers that we have as well. They have meaningful work and meaningful tasks to do other than just school. They can participate in powerful ways in our life of faith and ministry in our city. There are tasks for us who are in our 30s and 40s to do that are distinct and unique. And here's why this matters right now. Because if you get connected to the task of life that is appropriate for your life stage, you can find yourself invigorated with energy. You can find yourself connected to a greater sense of faith and hope. You can find yourself on a ground that feels more confident and firm, and you can produce things that didn't exist. You can create things that can be inherited in the future, far off, you can say, I don't know exactly why I did this task that I just did, but I know that there's a purpose in it for somebody somewhere in the future because I have confidence that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, what makes sense for me in my life right here and right now. So when we look at the scriptures here, we see it starting off, the writer starts off this chapter talking about a definition of faith. And the writer says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that this is what the ancients, speaking of Abraham and all those folks, were commended for. And this word confidence in the Greek, which is the original language of this text, the New Testament, it it, um, it literally means uh, hypostasis, which can be translated as something in which we stand under or something to stand upon. So it's, it's support for where we can move around from. So having that type of confidence so that faith is having confidence in where we stand, the place that we are in life, the, the place that we are moving from into another trajectory in what we hope for, in what we hope for and, and a sense of assurance in what we do not see. When I say, I don't know why I'm doing this task. Why is this matter? Why do I have to sit in my daughter's room and make sure she cleans up her toys. This seems sort of ridiculous right now that I just spent an hour of my time doing that. And I could have been doing something else really useful, but it was Saturday, so probably not. I probably wouldn't have been doing anything useful. This confidence in, in, in a hope for an assurance about we do not, what we do not see. We are people of faith 
And I, I don't mean that because we're all in a church. I mean, as human beings, we're people of faith. We, we have to have somewhere to stand in which to point the trajectory of our lives. So there are things that we trust in, things seen and unseen that we trust in, in order to give us purpose and faith and motivation in our life, just to get up, just to do our job every day, just to take care of a child, just to go to school, uh, just to continue to give and receive love. We have faith. We trust in things. We're assured that there are things that we can stand upon in this world, that the sun's going to rise, that the car is going to start, that our, our family's going to be there that when we wake up. And we trust in those things in order to have purpose and energy and movement in our life. As I think about the life of Abraham, he, he trusted in those things and so did his peers, so did the people that he lived with, but there was a difference for him because he began trusting in something that hadn't happened before. There, there, there's sort of a, a kind of a, a step up in faith that the, the writer of Hebrews is talking about and calling people to. And, 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 and the writer is saying that there is a sense in which there are invisible things, things that have not yet occurred, that have never been seen, and that there is a faith that is powerful enough to give you a grounding and a confidence to move towards those things. This is a life of purpose. This is a life that can allow somebody to endure an incredible amount of hardship, Becky and I heard from a couple just last night who they had, they had a had previous marriage, both of them. One of them had never had children. Um, the other one had grandchildren. And they ended up becoming responsible for a two and a three-year-old in their 40s, 50s in life when they thought they were all done or were never going to do any of that. And they found themselves able to navigate that new thing that would have seemed impossible not that long ago in their life. And it was because they had to develop a faith and a trust in one another and in God that they could manage things that were yet to happen. That the faith and trust that they grew and developed between one another allowed them to imagine a future that was impossible and to receive it when it came even though it wasn't what they expected or necessarily what they hoped for. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being 50 and being like, oh, it's just me and you and we're gonna do trips and stuff. And then here comes a two and a three-year-old into your life. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel tired. I feel so tired thinking about that. We have a three-year-old. Some people think they're not people of faith that they don't really have confidence in anything. And what I find for myself when I live that way, when I live a life without faith, when I live a life of cynicism, kind of an antagonistic to faith, I find myself actually working against my insides, the way, the way they're supposed to work. I find myself exerting way more energy trying not to have faith, not to trust, not to believe in other people, not to believe that, that God is actually working in beneficial ways in the world, then not. That I get 
exhausted in energy. Let me give you just an example. So, you know, we, we just had a big local election and we have a new DA now, a guy named Steve Mulroy. And, you know, some people might be excited about that. Some might not. But an example of this could be that we have a new DA, but you know what? Nothing's going to change. It's going to be the same or maybe a little bit worse. But really, probably nothing is going to change about that. Even though there's a whole new person in that office with a whole different perspective, a whole different way of wanting to do things. And I have to exert all this energy to believe that nothing's going to change. Or let me, let me bring it a little bit closer to your front door. When a person that you love and care about, who you have decided in your mind is not ever going to apologize for something that they did to you or said to you, says they're sorry. And your energy is so wrapped up in denying and not trusting and not having faith that that person could change or that person could respond to you in a way that would be healing to you, that you're pushing so hard against the trust and the faith, you cannot receive it and your heart is exhausted in doing so. Am I alone on this? Has anybody experienced this type of feeling where you feel like you're actually working against yourself when you're choosing not to have faith and not to trust. We move away from the purposes that we have and we become dull instruments in our world when we stop trusting, when we stop having faith. And it goes, it, it, it goes with our nature to do this, and the writer of Hebrews is aware of this, when uh, verse three is written and it said here, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We're made in the image of God in Latin called the Imago Dei. It's a really popular term and I don't like to say popular terms, but it's a good shorthand, Imago Dei, the image of God. And God creates things out of nothing. God speaks things and things come into existence and we're made in the image of God. And that's why when we diminish faith, when we uh, say we don't have faith, when we become cynical and skeptical about everything and everyone, that's why we move against the purposes inside of us and we slow down and our purpose decreases and we find ourselves scattered. We find ourselves real, really in something that in science they call um, entropy, entropy, not atrophy, but entropy. And this idea of, of entropy is, is about, uh, I'm gonna just read the definition, make sure I don't you know, mess it up. Um, it's the measurement of randomness or disorder within a system, any system. Could be the whole universe, could be a bedroom. So for example, my daughter Malia, six years old, her, yesterday her room was in a high level of entropy a lot of disorder in there, right? And so the functionality of that room is low. 
because the disorder is high, high entropy. It's in disarray, it's in disorder. The particles are not uh, making anything constructive. In order for the entropy to be lowered, she would have to have the purpose and the will and the energy that comes with it to move into that space and start to order things and lower the entropy level, to stack things in ways that even if you threw them down a million times, they would never end up back in that same order. And so the purpose that it would take for her to look at that room and say, this room is disorganized and chaotic and it needs some order so that something productive can be done with it. She would have to have the energy and the purpose to do that. Well, she didn't. So for about an hour and a half, I'm checking in on her. She's screaming, rolling around on the floor. The best part, the highlight, are you ready for this? I'm sitting in my bedroom and I'm just kind of sitting there listening to see and she's screaming and crying. And she's like, I'm just not made to do this. (laughs) Is that not the most princess thing you've ever heard? about a little girl not wanting to clean her room. If there is a high level of entropy, that means things are disordered in the world. It doesn't take a lot of effort to dump out a bunch of toys everywhere, to create disorder, to believe that's the natural state of things. But what does take energy is to make purpose and form and shape out of things that are disorganized. That takes a lot of energy and purpose to do that thing. This is the universe that we live in. So for example, if you went to the beach and and you saw the sand on the beach, that's a lot of entropy. It's a lot of disorder, just sand everywhere the chances that that sand is ever going to turn into a sand castle just by those those sand particles moving in such a way that they just end up like that, it's nearly impossible. Yet, that's the way we live our lives sometimes. We just kind of, we just kind of don't want to have faith, don't want to have trust in anything, but we expect sand to turn into a sandcastle. Oof. You say, well, it'll just kind of work itself out, I hope. And then when it doesn't, we blame our friends, we blame God, we blame who knows what, the people in office, all of those types of things. But what what I have come to believe about myself is that if I can live a life of faith to lean into the trust of God and other trustworthy people in my life, that I can tap into a sense of energy and purpose in my life in which I am not expecting sand to turn into sandcastles, but I'm building a rock solid foundation on sand and building something on top of that. Kind of messed up Jesus's end of the Sermon on the Mount right there but only if you're Bible literate would you know that. The weird thing is, in this this system of entropy, is that when you apply a lot of energy to organize something, energy is also 
expended that doesn't seem to have any purpose, that it's just energy that's lost. So, so when, you, when you go to organize something with purpose, a lot of energy goes to create that thing, but then you also are losing energy exponentially over time, more and more energy is lost. And what, what we find here in this text in the book of Hebrews is that there was a source of energy that Abraham was continually going back to and tapping back into in order to recharge his sense of purpose and energy. And that source, shocker, is God. Read with me in verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was settling in a new physical place being energized by purpose from God. He was exerting an incredible amount of energy to, to create order and purpose where there had been none before that. And the source of energy that he was relying on to continue to do that was the word of God. In, in fact, there's a moment where Abraham has just finished an exhausting battle to save his relative Lot and he's talking to God, and this is what the conversation sounds like. Abraham is lacking a sense of feeling like this is really going anywhere. What am I doing this for? What's gonna happen next? And he, instead of dwelling in cynicism and saying, hey, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going back. I'm going back to where I came from. This isn't the way to do things. It's too much risk. It's too risky. This is what happens in Genesis 15, verses one through six. It's on the screen. This is the writer of Hebrews is referencing these stories. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward, or your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of Damascus. I bet Elizer was a pretty good dude. Like, I feel like that's kind of, what if Elizer was, was hearing that? He's like, dude, I'm guarding your front tent. I'm like taking care of your cattle. Like, come on, man. But in Abram's time, without an heir, without someone to pass on his line, he had no future. He had no future. And so God's leading him out. God's telling him, I'm gonna lead you to this new place. And actually through you, the whole world's gonna be blessed and it's gonna be through your child. And Abraham goes out and he's dealing with all this crazy stuff out there away from his people, his language, his religion, his culture. And he's like, God, I don't have a child and I'm old. I'm really old. And my wife, man, she's old too. We're old. We got the crow's feet. We got canes and stuff. Like, how's this going to work? We're, we're on Medicaid. Like, this ain't going to happen, God. And so he has 
enough trust to talk back to God like this, the gall of Abram. He's not even Abraham yet. He's just Abram and he's already talking to God like this. In verse three, it says, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. So God says, I'm gonna gonna protect you. I'm gonna be your shield and your reward will be very great. And Abram doesn't respond like, thanks for being my shield, God. That's great. Thank you for bringing me. He's like, what's it gonna be? I don't got a kid. That's what I wanna know about. That's my issue. And verse four, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So there's an incredible amount of things going on in these six verses. There's a reason why Abraham is considered the father of three different main world religions. And part of it is just this exchange between him and God right there. So I'm not gonna unpack all those things right now, although that would be a worthy use of time. But I wanna point out two different things. Abraham is in this moment trusting God to give him something good that he cannot see or conceive of being possible to happen because God told him it would happen. And there is something about that that's completely just material. Just about like me, I want my line to continue. I want my kids to carry on my name. I want my name to live on. I want to make a mark in the world. This is not a bad thing. This is part of the task of human beings. It's part of the way that we were designed, as God said in Genesis, to be fruitful and multiply and to engage and to steward the earth, to make a mark, to build culture, to do these things. These are powerful and amazing things. But that, the physical birth of a son, is not what made Abraham, the progenitor, the passer on, the multiplier of a greater faith in God, a greater purpose in humanity. It's this last line here. Look back at this last line in verse six. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He made a decision in the present to trust. And it was something that was valuable and important to him. So it it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't fully about the child to be born that ultimately the line of of King David and, and Jesus that would come through and all that, that was really important, but that was only a part of it. The other part was whom the trust and the faith was being directed towards. See, the, the, one of the hard things about parenting is that you've got these children and you're trying to instruct them and teach them about things that they cannot conceive of and perceive what, what the future is going to be like. So my daughter thinks I am the worst person in the world right now for making her clean her room. She's not built for it, she says. 
I'm built different, Dad. I'm not, I can't sully my hands with these common tasks. But, but what I know is one day she might want to grow up and get married. And her, her spouse is not going to want to live in a pigsty. It's like, clean up your stuff, Malia. So, so if, if she can, over time, as she grows in her intellect and her emotions, if she can find the ability to trust me and her mom, then later on, that's going to produce more than just a clean room. That's going to produce a way of relating to things that are unseen, that are invisible, that could be good, that could be hoped for, that could be manifest and produced through a life of faith. So in, in the book of Galatians, Paul makes this really clear, this idea of Abraham having a material desire to have a family, pass on his name, make a mark, but also to have this transcendent experience in trusting a divine God and finding the ability to trust and create things of even greater purpose in the world. He says this, Galatians 3, verse 7 through 9, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Abraham would have never conceived of that idea in that moment when he's having that conversation with God. He's thinking about his blood, his line. And, and this sentence right here, I mean, I don't know what it, it would have just blown, blown his, his, his head off. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So that when, when we trust God, like we trust Abraham, Abraham, all those thousands of years ago, he, his influence, the way that he believed God for something that was invisible, that we get to follow in those footsteps, that that is the impact that his life and his wife and his family's life left on the whole rest of humanity. And you know what he was asking? He's asking God, what am I doing this for? Why am I in this situation right now? We're children of God when we employ the transcendent thing that Abraham passed on. The ability to have faith, which means the ability to act with confidence in things that we can't see in things that we can't fully understand, in things that are good, that are worth struggling for, that are worth putting a lot of time and energy into. So this last part, let's, let's read these last few verses here. Um, By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's, he's moving towards this promised land, but the author is telling us what he's actually headed towards, what he's actually looking forward to is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and by faith, even Sarah, who is 
past childbearing age was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She produced something impossible and invisible. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. The Jewish people and the people in this room, material and transcendent, a life of faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You know the the term delayed gratification? I did this famous study. If you're in education courses or probably a lot of different courses uh, in, in like, uh, you know, your first year of college, you probably would have seen it where they put kids in a room and put a marshmallow or a cookie in front of them. And they said like, hey, if you, if you uh, don't eat this marshmallow right now, in a minute, we'll give you three marshmallows. And some of the kids said, nope, I'm going for the marshmallow that's right there. And others waited and got their three marshmallows. And they followed these children into adulthood and saw that their lives were really different. That the ones who could delay the immediate gratification for something greater a little bit later, three marshmallows, they tended to have more successful lives, more stable lives. But what does it mean to have gratification that's so delayed, you don't even get any of it? That's a lot of faith right there. So when we think about inheritance, we usually, our minds probably usually go um, in, in the first half of life to what could I inherit it? What, what could I get? And that's okay. But what we also need to think about and keep in mind, especially as we begin to progress through life and our tasks and our orientation in life begins to change, is what will I be leaving for others to inherit? Here's some of the things I want to to leave you with, a couple of questions I want to leave you with to think about. what something in your life that doesn't exist that you want someone else to inherit? That in the future, other people, maybe it's your biological children, but other people as well, the other, other community members, even people generations from now, what's something that you can conceive of but it doesn't exist yet something you would like to produce with your life that can be solely for the benefit of a future you'll never see? That's a, that's a question for people who live a life of faith. It's not, a, it's not about, do I believe 
in God or not. That's, that's not the primary question of faith. It's do I believe that vi- invisible things can be produced? God, God, God's there, God's there. There's lots of people who are called faithful Christians who don't do this work because it's hard and they're good, they're okay. So the second thing, what's one thing that you want to leave behind that is with you right now that you don't wanna share? You don't want to be passed on. You don't want to be remembered. Could be something about the way that you operate right now, a way that you treat people in your life, your spouse, your friends, your children, your coworkers. Could be patterns in your life you don't want to be carried on into the future. And then here's the third question that's related to both of those. Are you currently on a trajectory in your life to do this? To pass on the thing that doesn't yet exist that you want to pass on and to leave behind the thing that does exist that you don't want to pass on? Are you moving on a trajectory of faith and purpose to to develop the skills, the spiritual practices, the emotional health, the relational connectivity, serving to others and within your, your church and in your city to build and make plans for the future? Or are you just hoping that the sand turns into a sandcastle. Faith intermingles purpose and energy to produce invisible and unseen things. Let's do that stuff together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the saints that went before us. Thank you that you've given us a a life to live where we can find purpose in the tasks that we have in front of us, no matter what age we find ourselves or what position in life that you have a purpose for us in each one of those places. I pray now that we would find you and that we would find our purpose in you. Amen.